Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It has been a hell of a basketball playoff so far. We've got an amazing Eastern Conference final coming to a close. BetOnline's got you covered with all the props, odds, parlays, and lines for you to gamble here in the playoffs. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It. Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is May 24th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you may be listening. Today is a day to celebrate the Golden State Warriors, because the thing I will scream from the top of my lungs around sports is to appreciate greatness. And we must appreciate the greatness of the Golden State Warriors, because the Golden State Warriors are incredibly great, and it's insane that they're about to go to the NBA Finals again after everything that just went down with them. Two years of not being competitive, they strategically, I mean, not strategically, like Steph Curry got hurt, Clay Thompson was out for two seasons. They recharged the entire team by taking a two-year break and having Steph Curry sit out most of the 2020 season prior to the COVID-19 pandemic and having Clay Thompson, you know, obviously tear his ACL, then tear his Achilles, miss two full seasons, miss the playoffs last year, and altogether recharge the Warriors in a really weak Western Conference, in part because the Denver Nuggets don't have their team fully healthy to compete with them, and the Phoenix Suns falling apart against the Dallas Mavericks. Speaking of the Denver Nuggets, we'll have a story at the end of the show about the Denver Nuggets as well. The Golden State Warriors are going back to the NBA Finals for the sixth time in eight years. It felt like the Warriors dynasty was perfectly encapsulated by a five-year run of success, and by virtue of still having Steph Curry, still having Klay Thompson, still having Draymond Green, replacing the pieces lost by Kevin Durant, essentially with Andrew Wiggins and Moses Moody, which is not great, or I guess the other way to put it is Andrew Wiggins and Cumbucket, which I like saying Jonathan Kaminga because his nickname is Cumbucket, um, replacing Kevin Durant essentially with Andrew Wiggins and Cumbucket is not necessarily the greatest thing, although it was good enough for Golden State. If Golden State was so far ahead of the curve 
and the NBA got more parody, which by the way, Dieter Kurtenbach of KNBR San Francisco Radio, he does a nightly show in San Francisco most nights. He's going to join us in a sec here on the podcast as well to talk about the Warriors and macro level NBA stuff and all that. One of the things that's really interesting is Golden State, as the league got more parity, and as for the first time in, in except for a three-year period between 2010 and 2012, which we talked about last Friday in regards to the Warriors and the Mavericks being like the Spurs and Thunder of 2012, and obviously the, the obviously Dallas couldn't compete on the level of KD's Thunder in 2012, which no shame in that one if you're Dallas. Dallas just simply does not have the horses, to no pun intended. You know what, let's say pun intended. Dallas doesn't have the horses to build around Luka Doncic, and the way that they're going to succeed is by getting Luka Doncic a base level of talent better than Spencer Dinwiddie, Tim Hardaway Jr., and 0 for 10 Reggie Bullock. So, they didn't get that, and the Warriors get to go to the championship, and if you take away the Phoenix Suns, there was basically no real competition of elite level in the NBA to compete with the Golden State Warriors, which we kind of knew from the start of the season and then detracted from the Warriors a little bit because they had a bunch of injuries in the middle of the season. What's really interesting about Golden State is the sustained excellence is only matched by those Spurs teams, and they get to be the team that, unlike the Spurs, also had, you know, they had Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry at the same time and the same core of the team across a decade. In Curry, Thompson, Draymond Green, that core of that team is the thing that's going to resonate the same way like Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili do in San Antonio. And it's really, really interesting to see how the Golden State Warriors played through an entire generation at the end of LeBron, the KD Steph generation. They had both of them on the team at the same time, the same way LeBron and D Wade and Chris Bosh were the best players of their generation, and they all happened to play on the same team. They got KD and Steph together, and even after that, it took two years of pause. They sustained the excellence in order to get back to the championship again with virtually the same team as 2015. Just everyone aged by seven years. And Andrew Wiggins instead of Harrison Barnes and Jordan Poole instead of Leandro Barbosa. It's basically the exact same team. And it's, I mean, I guess you could say Jordan Poole like Andre Iguodala, even if he's not the same defensive player. It's still insane that they're the same team as 2015, and that was good enough to wipe out a depleted Western Conference. And to do it in near spectacular fashion is crazy. Some people will speak to it as championship pedigree. I just speak to it as the Golden State Warriors were a really, really good basketball team. And... I said going into the season, Golden State was the only team in the West that was adding an all-star to their team. Now, they were the nine seed in the West last year, so all the math changed around that. They were adding an all-star to their team when the Clippers were subtracting Kawhi Leonard, and then we found out subtracting Paul George. Denver was going to be without Jamal Murray again, and eventually we found out Michael Porter Jr. as well. And Golden State added Klay Thompson back into the lineup. And it's putting them, on the margins, close to winning the championship. And 
it's really interesting to see that jump, in part because, like, once you took away Phoenix, it was supposed to be Phoenix and Golden State from November onward. Those were the two teams that were just running away with the West, and they were supposed to play in the NBA championship. Once you took away Phoenix, it ended up being a coast for Golden State. We didn't think it was going to be a coast for Golden State because, like we said last week, Golden State isn't the same version of Golden State from even 2015 because they aren't an all-time great shooting team. They're still good enough because they have the incredibly talented players, and you took away Phoenix, which was their one real competition in the Western Conference. And so Golden State going back to the championship is something we can marvel at in the macro of NBA history. And I'm really, really fascinated to see how they get how they respond to getting to the finals. Cause getting back at this point feels like bonus points for Golden State. Maybe they beat Phoenix in the conference finals if Phoenix doesn't collapse against the Dallas Mavericks and Chris Paul, you know, has 23 points and 18 turnovers between games four and game six. And the Suns have literally the worst conference, the worst game seven possibly in the history of the NBA. I don't know how it's possible to be any worse than Phoenix was when DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker combined had one made basket in the first half. And it was DeAndre Ayton dunking the ball with three minutes to go in the second quarter. Like, it's physically impossible to play worse than they did. Maybe if Phoenix gets there, they give the Warriors a run for their money because they were of equal caliber during the regular season to Golden State. Maybe that's the case. And they were the finals team last year. In actuality, Golden State is virtually being untested. is just a testament to the, the system that they've created, and they had the base level of talent always there because Joe Lacob prioritized Steph Curry Clay Thompson and Draymond Green over Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. And for right or for wrong, that was the situation that they they had made for themselves. And it felt like Golden State was committing to, and, and I had said this for years, especially to my old roommate, who's a big Warriors fan, like the Warriors will be competitive. They won't be championship competitive. They will be competitive though. What I underestimated was how weak the Western Conference was going to be. And Jokic is the one player that Again, I mean, I'm going to talk about this later. I think Denver's good enough to win the championship as long as everyone's healthy. And Phoenix is as good as Golden State in that context. So, like, they can compete on that level with Golden State. The Warriors just happen to catch good breaks this year, and it makes them go to the championship. It's not to, like, indict what Golden State has done, because this is a, a podcast about appreciating greatness. It's crazy that Golden State, once you took away Phoenix, it's like, Oh, in a league of parity, in the NBA that we're going to talk about, like, has never had more parity ever. Like, going into the second round, all eight teams felt like they had a chance of winning the championship. There were scenarios where all eight teams win, make it to the finals, and all eight teams can win the finals because everyone had a top 15 player and nobody had two top 15 players. It was Giannis, Jimmy Butler, uh, Jason Tatum, and who's the other team in the East? Oh, obviously Joel Embiid, who was kind of healthy, kind of not healthy, slide in James Harden, whatever you want to call that. So like Giannis and Chris Middleton was hurt for the entire series. That would have been a top 15 player that separates the Bucks. Then in the West, you have Steph Curry, top 15 player, Luka, top 15 player, John Morant, top 15 player, and Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Devin Booker, top 15 player, not Chris Paul, Devin Booker, top 15 player. So everyone had a top 15 player and no one had a, a 
a second top 15 player that separated themselves. And in this league of parody, the Warriors emerge at the end. And that's incredibly fascinating because the Warriors made the finals five consecutive years, ran an entire era of NBA basketball. It was the Kevin Durant to Steph Curry generation. The Kevin Durant and Steph Curry generation lasted from 2014 to 2019. That's when they were playing their best basketball the peaks of their careers, 2014 to 2019, the Warriors made the finals every single year, every year from 2014 to 2019. 2014 is beginning into 2015, 2014 with Spurs and, and Heat, there's no perfect eras, whatever, but the point still stands, Golden State made the finals every single year for an entire era of basketball, LeBron James made the finals every single year, an entire era of basketball that wasn't even his best basketball it crossed over with his best basketball but you can't play your best basketball for eight years the point still stands like golden state ran that thing they are past their generation now and golden state is still ending up in championships and maybe they'll win maybe they'll lose whatever the case may be in an era of parody the champions of an era before get to make it to the finals with a combination of good breaks and rebuilding a basketball team and just having rest. Like Steph Curry had a whole year of rest. He got injured in November of 2019 and came back in December of 2020 when the season started because the Warriors didn't go to the bubble. Like after five consecutive runs to the finals, Steph Curry got a year off. Draymond Green got a year off because Draymond Green missed most of the 2020 season as well. Klay Thompson got a year, got two years off. Rehabbing injury, yes, but not playing basketball for two years. Again, the Warriors messed up by not drafting LaMelo Ball over James Wiseman, or not drafting LaMelo Ball. They took James Wiseman over LaMelo Ball. If they had LaMelo Ball, it would be no fluke what the Golden State Warriors were doing. It would feel unfair in the system that they walk away with the a player who's a perennial all-star in the way that the Spurs drafted Kawhi Leonard, who's a not quite a generational player, but a guy who finals MVP twice, like one of the great players in the history of the NBA. I'm not saying LaMelo Ball is that, but LaMelo Ball would have at least been an all-star to help keep all these guys young. To combine like he would have been the third all-star instead of Wiggins getting to start in the all-star game but even still they just just the time off allowed the Warriors to reset it allowed them to still remain competitive simply because they had Draymond Green the best defensive player of a generation and Steph Curry the best offensive player of a generation not named Kevin Durant a guy who you know we say revolutionized basketball it's really interesting that they just had time to reset and caught really good breaks this year in the fact that they played Denver without Porter and Murray, the fact that they didn't have to play Phoenix, the fact that they got Memphis without John Morant for the end of the series, and John Morant happened to miss that little layup in game one that would have changed the course of that series. Like, they just got a, little, a bunch of good breaks, got everyone rested, and all of a sudden they looked up and they're like, hey, we're going to go to the NBA Finals again. And it's pretty dang cool that they're able to do that, because... I said after 2019, when, when Kevin Durant tore his Achilles, well, during that whole playoff run, and, and I didn't have a podcast back then, but I remember this being a formative moment in my sports fandom. I looked at it and I said, I really want to appreciate this while it's here, because if we don't have Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and that Warriors team ever again, 
basketball is never going to exactly look like that again. And that was one of those things that turned me on to appreciate greatness because it took Kevin Durant losing his ability to play basketball for people to start respecting him. And now people kind of say like, if Durant wins one championship outside the Warriors, he will have universal respect for the rest of time. And I don't need him to win that other championship to have my universal respect. It's incredible how good Kevin Durant was at basketball and how fun those Warriors teams were when they were kicking everyone's ass, but also weren't kicking everyone's ass. They were kicking everyone's ass who didn't have James Harden or LeBron James on their teams. And it was so much, and also teams that didn't have Kawhi Leonard, because again, like, you take away Kevin Durant from the Warriors, they were down 3-1 to the Raptors, and then you took away Klay Thompson, and they almost forced a Game 7 against the Raptors. So, the Warriors this year are about as good as that Raptors team in 2019, and that Raptors team in 2019 got to the finals by upsetting the Bucks, and won the finals because Kevin Durant tore his Achilles. So they were really like the fourth best team in the NBA that year. And the Warriors are like the fourth or fifth best team in the NBA. Boston apparently is one of the ones at the top because Boston vanquished the two that I said were the best. And, And so Boston was apparently, Boston's right there. Milwaukee's still definitely number one for me because if Chris Middleton plays, he's number one. Um, Miami's right there. Philadelphia's right there. Phoenix is right there. So, so the Warriors are in the second tier of teams and they're going to make the NBA finals and they might win the NBA finals. They call it championship pedigree, call it good breaks, whatever it is. It's just remarkable that it's happening. So let's appreciate the greatness. Let's spend an hour today just appreciating the greatness of the Golden State Warriors And I know it's going to be an hour on a podcast while you probably do other things. Let's just appreciate the greatness of the Golden State Warriors. It's pretty freaking crazy. It's crazy that they've done this. It's crazy that they've ran a generation of basketball. And even though they lost Kevin Durant, the generation's greatest player, in two years with the same core from 2015, basically, are going to go back to the championship. They're not the best team in the NBA. The fact they're still going to get the results, pretty kind, of, pretty incredible because they're definitely better than Dallas. They're definitely better than Memphis, even though they could have lost that series to Memphis. They're definitely better than Memphis, which, again, Luka's 23 years old and his roster is shit besides him. John Morant's 22 years old and they need to get a third-best player better than Dylan Brooks or a second best player better than Jaron Jackson Jr. So like no shade there. The Warriors are definitely a better team than both of those. Maybe they beat Phoenix anyways and they get to go to the finals and it feels like they went through it. Let's appreciate the greatness, man. It's they're so great. They're so great. The fact they did this again, they took they took their two-year Michael Jordan break. Remember Michael Jordan retired for a year and a half and lost in the 1995 playoffs? They took their two-year Michael Jordan break. Going to the finals for five straight years is taxing on the body. Taxing. They were, and by the way, Ethan Strauss wrote the book on the victory machine, the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant, which I read at the very, very beginning of the pandemic, and we've done dozens of podcasts on at this point, or mentioned it on at least dozens of podcasts, the same way I always mentioned the Patriots book by Seth Wickersham. Like, they, they hated each other. They were just glad it was over in 2018. When they won the the third championship in 2018, they were just glad the season was over. By 2019, they were over each other. 
And Kevin Durant left instead of being miserable and winning championships. He decided to, to go to Brooklyn and be a little bit happier and enjoy the process a bit more. And the championships weren't worth it. And, and the Warriors are going back with good breaks all over the place in a weak Western Conference. Call it a perfect set of circumstances, whatever it might be. The Golden State Warriors are going back to the championship. And that's pretty amazing. Like four years removed from their generation. They just took their two-year break. They're going back to the finals, and maybe they win, maybe they lose. They are going back. So let's talk to our friend Dieter Kurtenbach of KNBR San Francisco about the Warriors, about the NBA on a macro level, and talking about the macro level conversation of the macro level conversations that we have across NBA history. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm good. Oh, glad another to hear. Day, another dollar. Another How day, another dollar. It's just me today, by the way. So it'll be yeah, cool. uh, it'll be a little fun thing here, just real quick on the Warriors, because this basically the entire podcast I'm doing is just a uh, just a celebration of the Golden State Warriors because uh, yeah, it, it's, right it's amazing guy. six six finals eight years they they are basically the modern day Spurs like they're doing it with the same core from 2015 just you know change a couple pieces in and out here it's pretty remarkable how they've gone about this it's been it's it's been insane right I mean this is uh, I didn't I didn't see this coming. I didn't see this coming even a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago, right? You, you think about the way that this team was playing post All-Star game. I put out a column saying, hey, this team doesn't – this team's not a championship contender until they prove it. And legitimately up until maybe game six of that series against the Grizzlies, and maybe not even then – it didn't feel as if there was an inevitability to them. And yet here we are right now with them one win away from another finals against a team that they will be favored to beat. That's bonkers. Yeah. And every game it felt like during this series and also kind of game six, it's like, Oh no. I mean, there was the game game two obviously was like the, the peak basketball performance from both teams. It Mm -hmm. felt like, but other than that, like it feels like, oh, there's like four or five guys that each have 15 points and you're going eight deep yeah. on the bench where like Otto Porter goes out. Mm-hmm. And now we just slided Moses Moody, who is a top 10 <laughs> draft pick. And, you know, yeah. they, it's it, the Warriors feel like they're super deep. And once we took away the Phoenix part of it, where we just all kind of thought, oh, well, Phoenix and Golden State were the best teams earlier in the year. Then the Warriors mm-hmm. got hurt. So there was Memphis and then there was Dallas and and the Nuggets were hopefully trying to do all that. But in the end, we took away Phoenix and it's like, well, the Warriors were the only team that could win, mm-hmm. you know, what historically will be regarded as a weak Western conference, but still pretty cool that they they were the ones to fill the mantle and rose through the challenge. <laughs> I, I, think it's inter- I think it's interesting on the basis of it, it still doesn't feel as if they're the best team. Like certainly they're not incapable or unqualified or anything to that regard, but there's we're having to reckon in real time with the new reality of the Warriors, right? The Warriors, their reputation has preceded them for so long, even when they sucked as this just juggernaut, 
and they're clearly not a juggernaut, but they don't have to be in order to win a title this year. And I don't think that any juggernauts are showing up down the line anytime soon. I feel like we're in a league of incredible parody. Um, and the Warriors, in their very aggressive moves towards longevity, have set themselves up to be in a really good place. Maybe never this place again. We just don't know. Uh, but it put themselves in a very good place long term. And for all the poo-pooing that I might have done early on and give Steph Curry more, um, maybe it was luck, maybe it was foresight, but whatever it is, it's coming to pass at, at the absolute right time. These guys are really good, and they have, to this point, handled matchups that were tough that they should have handled and avoided matchups that were tough that they probably couldn't handle. I, I still think Phoenix, despite the fact that they fold like uh, a bad lawn chair, that that would have been a tough matchup for them because of their personnel. And it doesn't matter because it's all hypothetical. Whereas Dallas was a great matchup for them here in the Western Conference Finals, but it would not have been a good matchup in the first round when they would have, you know, Dallas knew exactly what they were about, even though they were a team that was figuring it out halfway through the season. Uh, they're a one-trick pony on both sides of the ball. The Warriors were trying to just figure out what the rotations were going into the postseason. We saw it with you know Denver giving the Warriors pretty good scares. But going back kind of to the initial conceit here, I do think that it is giving us a better perspective on how much experience is worth in the postseason. And I think that even I, somebody who has consistently sort of banged the drum of experience matters, experience matters, experience matters, might have even underrated it, just given what we're seeing transpire with the Warriors, not only being in positions to not just advance through two rounds and now be one win away from the NBA Finals, which will happen eventually because the Dallas is just, they gave up after last night's game. You can hear it in their, you know, their tone of voice and their conversations post-game. Um, but how important this experience has been and um, and what it could mean in the next round because I think Boston are the ones who advance is just a really crappy matchup. <laughs> uh, I really don't like that for the Warriors, whereas I think they can maybe even sweep Miami. Fascinating. It is a weird and fascinating place. we're living in this moment really get intense and hyper on sort of the here and now it almost feels as if this is part of a, a what you were alluding to earlier part of a larger cumulative thing like it's almost a championship that won't be analyzed outside of the realm of the historic value if the warriors in fact win it uh and there's some really cool stuff happening in the moment some cool stuff happening game by game possession by possession but when you're dealing with something that, that that exists on the scope of the Warriors in the, the place that the Warriors inhabit in NBA history is one of the most important, if not perhaps the most important team in the history of the NBA or modern NBA. Um, it, 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 you know, it's going to take a while for us to understand what this truly means. This could be one of 
a few more. This could be the last one, but whatever it is, it's always going to be viewed under the scope of this larger prism. And um, that's just a kind of a weird place to be as somebody who tries to live, you know, not, not, not as some sort of life. I'm a newspaper writer. I'm trying to live in the moment day in and day out to, to provide that information. And, uh, uh, you know, I do sports talk radio on a nightly basis. Like I'm, it's very much here now let's, let's attack this. Um, and uh, for everything to, uh, you know, necessarily be pushed back to, you know, wider lenses is really, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little tough for me. Not that anyone gives a damn. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, you mentioned parody a little bit ago and like, this is a new, like we have to adjust our mind a little bit because yes. if, if you go back 15 years, it was like, okay, so you had Spurs, Lakers, 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 Spurs, Lakers, Spurs, mm-hmm. uh, Mavericks one year, Spurs, Lakers, right. Lakers, Lakers, Mavericks. But like, in the, in like, who did the Mavericks beat? Like, it, it's like, yeah, it was, people keep saying that they like underdogs and they like parody. They don't. It, it's no. so much harder to have to keep track of a bunch of stuff where it's really easy to just go, that's the bad guy. And whoever plays them is the good guy. That's so much easier to do as a fan. And uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see the narrative that comes out of a, a possible Warriors championship here moving forward, because I'm not sure what it is you could be angry. I've never understood, but at least when they had Kevin Durant and such, um, it was easy to point to, right? It was easy to say, mm-hmm. well, okay, you know, they did just rig this system to add the best player in the NBA, or at least the best scorer in the NBA to a team that won 73 games. Like, it doesn't really feel fair, does it? Like, it is. Those are the rules. Blame LeBron James and Chris Paul. But, like, I get how people would not respond well to that from an external perspective. Um, but people love that. People love that team. They hated them and love and hate are on the same spectrum. And they needed that team because that team, like the Miami Heat before them, like the Lakers before them, the way that the Spurs never could, which is why ratings went in the tank anytime the Spurs were in the finals, um, they created a, a clear archetype for rooting and engaging. And this team has so little in common with uh, with those you know that that dynastic or at least the height of the dynasty the the best team that they put out which was 2017 um it, it has very little in common this is i suppose you can still find ways i mean it's the nba everyone's bitching and whining and complaining after every play all the time so it's not <laughs> as if there's nothing to, to nitpick and, and be you know upset about if you're really looking to be mad online or mad in real life but um I'm fascinated to see how people handle. I don't give a damn about the legacy stuff that will get sorted out eventually. How people handle um, the fact that I think this Warriors team is pretty likable. And the fact that people are engaging with them on that, again, larger premise of they're the Warriors, but they're not, but they are. And so are they likable or are they this juggernaut that no one likes? And, when you say uh, when you yeah. say the Warriors too, there, I think there's a difference between one Warriors team, like the dynasty yes. as a whole, and Steph, Clay, and Draymond, because those guys like the the numbers yeah. and the jerseys kind of encompass the Warriors too in that way. Yeah, and, and something that's really changed a lot since since the Warriors came to prominence is the com- the inherent conversation around the NBA is so banal 
and driven by the same subject, which is always just legacy, 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 legacy. And it's the shoehorn conversation of legacy because there's so much interesting stuff. Now we're in a reverse situation. So normally we have this incredible stuff happening on the floor and it's so much more interesting to be talking about that. And they're like, what if we zoomed out and talked about legacy? And it's like, what if we didn't? And now, <laughs> and now there is this very large and interesting thing that needs to be reckoned with, with the warriors are like, what does this mean for their legacy? Like this deserves to be viewed on the wide lens with a wide scope. And no one wants to reckon with that. And so it, someone asked me earlier today, like, when did the NBA become so soft? It, it became soft the second that everything was about Jordan versus LeBron. What is Steph Curry important? It, when they stopped talking about the games and started talking about the big picture meeting. So it's going to be really interesting to see when there is a legitimate big picture meeting conversation to be had, how it's actually handled, if it's handled at all, because I, I don't think people can handle, I don't think people will know how to handle this on an emotional platform. And I'm talking from the guys who make $10 million a year to the folks who post 50 tweets today and, and no one follows it. Like, I just think that this is going to break a lot of people's brains. Yeah. It's a new generation. And for as long as this, this type of media cycle has existed, the warriors have been on top and we, mm. I think this one's a little bit shocking too, in that way, like the warriors getting to, to this one is different. Yeah. I find that interesting because the, the parody part is like, okay, so six different Western conference teams have played in the conference finals in the last three years. So it's about it was nuggets, mm -hmm. Lakers, Suns, right. Clippers, Warriors, Mavericks, whatever it is like, that's the mm -hmm. parody. And the Eastern conference is now the best conference in the NBA. When is that adjustment going to be acknowledged of like this, this is beyond when the Warriors should have been competing for championships. And yet, because the NBA went to this parody model because people complained that super teams well, were they ruining got, they the got, NBA. Right. They, yeah, they got they got smart. They got smart about how you know to handle the salary cap, and so they they mm -hmm. uh, smoothed out the most recent iteration of the CBA. It, mm -hmm. We're not going to have the conversation about East versus West because I don't think that it's necessarily there yet. Um, mm -hmm. I, I can agree with you on this year. But if the Western Conference Warriors win the NBA championship, it's not much of an argument to hold up that the, that the East is the better league when the third seed in the West, which, by the way, had a better record than both of the teams that, that could compete, including the one seed in the Eastern Conference, that those are the old parity. And it's not like you are who your champion suggests that you are. So if it's Boston and they win, now we can have a bigger conversation about the East because Boston's gotten pushed, right? And that you could, you know, see exit points for Boston. Whereas I, I, you look at the Warriors and while we know on a micro level, hey, this has not been easy, it's really been their fault that it's not been easy. They haven't really been pushed by anybody. And perhaps John Morant staying healthy changes that maybe not. Like who's to say? Like, it is what it is. Um, that was just the way the cookie crumbles. But uh, yeah, I, I People will not be able to handle it. People will not be able to understand because there is no correct answer at the moment, right? Like we're mm -hmm. not going to get anything definitive about this Warriors team now because we won't be able to say if this was the last go around or if this was the start of something new and great. Like we just don't know. And much like the Spurs and how it's very difficult to contextualize them in the grand scheme of the NBA, like if the Warriors win and 
one this year, and then two years from now, for you know whatever reason, they win another one because just the the waters parted for them. It's not to say it's you know, impossible; it's unlikely, but it's not to say impossible. Like, how does that? How the hell do you reckon with that? Is that all part of one thing, or is that a different thing? Is that a one-off, or is that part of a second post-pandemic dynasty model? What constitutes a dynasty? Like, we we know this from the San Francisco Giants, like three and five. Like, was well, that a dynasty? I don't know. Probably not because they weren't in the playoffs every year. No, I'd argue stretch, yes. I I argue teams won. that win one championship and compete every year are dynasties. Like especially in baseball, where since the Giants, there hasn't been a repeat champion in the past eight years. Like there wasn't a repeat champion with the Giants. I mean, like it, it's 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 a conversation, right? Like, and we still don't have the answer. I think that both sides can absolutely present compelling arguments that it is. And luckily it's such a nebulous concept that doesn't need a real answer. This is just something we do to pass time. Um, the warriors <laughs> seem to bring out a little bit of um, more vitriol in casual conversation than most. And that's why I'm almost fearful of, of what's uh, about to come at the same time. Uh, Hey man, when they play their best basketball, it is still as beautiful as, as it has ever been. And I will never stop being a fan of the sport. And just to my preference, this is something that I lucked into in life. The Warriors played the most attractive, entertaining, likable brand of basketball I've ever seen. And, and it's been a real pleasure. I mean, there's nothing better, I think, as a sports fan than your favorite team playing a style of basketball that's easy to root for or any, any, anything. And you win like um, it would suck if you were a Manchester United fan, because no one wants to watch, you know, Oh, you won. Well, congratulations. You parked the bus for, for weeks on end with, you know, Jose Mourinho as your manager or a Chelsea fan under the same circumstances, or you were a New Jersey devils fan and you didn't love the left, left wing, left, left wing lock, which is even before your time. Like it just an un, watchable style of hockey but they won with it because the rules allowed them to win with it like is that enjoyable or is that just ego projection whereas the warriors it's like man even if the warriors lose they gave you hella hella good entertainment for 48 minutes you know for two hours and 25 every night they gave you something to really watch and most of the time enjoy or be so aggravating as to make you want to pull your own hair out but either way they made you feel something and um that is that is really special, and it's it's it, it's ramped up to an even higher level when your your job responsibilities are to talk about them and try to be entertaining in, in those discussions. It's a lot easier when you're not trying to sell, you know, turd that's covered in googly eyes. You know, it's like here's a bar of gold. Would you like the bar of gold? I can sell you a bar of gold. I can sell you. I can sell you a delicious cupcake. It's hard for me to put lipstick on a pig and make sure that, you know, it gets, it, it gets, you know, more than its fair value. And uh, that just hasn't had to be the case with the Warriors. And when they've been good and when they've been bad, it's been very easy to call them out because Warriors fans know what good basketball is. And uh, they weren't even marginally successful during those two years. So it was even easier. We didn't have to um, live in this, you know, deluded fairy tale world where it's, I think they can pull it off. No, they sucked. And everyone knew they sucked. And, uh, I just, I like those parameters and I really, if I got to watch this for two and a half hours every night and come up with something interesting to say, thank God they're doing it in an interesting way. I mean, even when they suck this postseason, they've been doing it interestingly. 
in, in an interesting way. So uh, uh, I'm forever indebted to the Golden State Warriors for for everything. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, we kind of did macro level picture on the whole thing instead of like the idea of this team. But think how cool it is. They 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 yeah. won at the end of the LeBron era, which you know LeBron's mm-hmm. best basketball ends around 2016. They did it for the entire yes. Kevin Durant. Steph Curry generation. And now they're doing mm-hmm. it again in the era post Kevin Durant and Steph Curry being the best players well, in the would NBA. You say this, what would you say this era is? Who would you say the Giannis era? Oh, so, so yeah, I, so I have this whole thing. I break down generations Love into about head. every five years just because like the physical, sense. the physical primes of basketball players are roughly when they're like 26 to 31 ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, so this era yeah, is Giannis era with, Jokic and Embiid and Anthony Davis and Jason Tatum's kind of a tweener, like because because the next generation is going to might get screwed yeah. in the generational aspect of yeah. things because he's played for so many years already. Yeah, they're not um, perfect. Like Kawhi so is the just, same this way. Is the, like, this is the new, yeah, this is the new big man era. Is what you're telling mm-hmm. me? Yeah, and then because yeah, like the next generation like is going to be Luca, Zion, John Morant, Anthony Edwards, Trey Young. But Tatum's not that either. Tatum's like, he's not quite Giannis, you, you, but he's not you quite You see Luka. how close you are? Do you <laughs> see how close you are to having it be so much cleaner? You're tossing mm-hmm. in Jason Tatum on the back end of all the big men, and then you're coming through with all of these ball-heavy point guards, who, by the way, none of them will ever win a title. And, and it's like, oh, it could be so clean and so easy, but you're like, but Zion's in there too. And I'm not saying you're wrong. You're probably right if Zion ever plays basketball again. But yeah, when we're when we're talking about building narratives out of thin air, make them clean. People only remember the clean stuff. I know, I know. People but there's two, too there's two weird exceptions because like because the LeBron era leads right into the Steph and KD era, but Kawhi's somewhere it's, in the middle. Like it, it, or, it will be, and then it'll be remembered as the Steph era. It'll be remembered as the three point explosion era. So. <sighs> You give it. To, you give it to Steph. You're not wrong. You're not wrong in trying to be nuanced and intricate and correct. But you gotta. You gotta be clever above all else. Clever. I know. I know. It's. But how can we that. say it's the that. Steph generation when Steph wasn't even the best player of his generation? He was the second best player of his generation behind Kevin Durant. Everybody was playing Steph's style of basketball, and Steph's yeah. Steph's style preceded everything that they were doing. It, you're, again, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's just, it's just, if you're trying to get people to remember it, it has to be easy to grasp. And know, the second I you know. throw a change up in with five fastballs in a row, you're going to be way out in front. I, I, and doing people, the best. Because, okay, so it's, it's LeBron. It's Katie LeBron, and Steph, Steph. It's Giannis. And then here's okay. an easier way. Here's another way to do it. Here's another way to do it. Instead of, <laughs> <laughs> calling it the LeBron era. You're right. It's the LeBron era, right? And then the generation, it's the Warriors yeah. era, the Warriors generation. And yeah. then it's the modern big man generation. And then I guess the next one would be uh, the new point guard generation. But I guess I, I, I dumb it down for people even a little more. Instead of saying modern okay. big man or Warriors, I just give a player. The player runs the era and then everyone else slides in after. LeBron, <laughs> Steph, Giannis. <laughs> Maybe Luca. Yeah. Probably not. And then, but then, okay. So here's the curveball. How does Kawhi okay. fit in the picture? Now we got to figure out where Kawhi slides. This is what I'm, but this is what I was telling you about with, uh, with the Spurs, right? And I obviously understand that he, he won a championship in Toronto. 
of that. He fits in as, as, as an interesting, consistent foil because he stopped LeBron once from winning a title and he stopped the Warriors from winning a title. So he almost exists on his own plane of villainy, which is perfect for him because he's this very uh, nebulous concept that no one could ever possibly grasp, including perhaps himself. He doesn't have his own generation because he doesn't fit into the model, but the, no model is going to be Some perfect. Some bitch doesn't here. play enough. No, no models. No models. And that's what I'm saying. No model is going to be perfect. So make sure it's catchy. Exactly. Because Jason Tatum's in this purgatory too. He's not Giannis's generation with all the bigs. He's not Luca. He's, he's in the middle and I don't know what to do with him, but also he might walk, he might sneak a championship in the, in between. Yeah. But Dirk Nowitzki never got his own era. One, one yeah, doesn't but, do squat. But Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki kind of like was always secondary to Tim Duncan though. Like Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Garnett were always secondary to Tim Duncan, which is no shade to them. Like, you're no, still no, one of the right. three best players in your like uh, James I'm Harden. Same idea. I'm with you. I'm with you. Again, it's got to be about the cleanliness. You can always bring in more people to discuss them as they fit into the larger paradigm. But you, you know, the the more complicated you make that paradigm, the harder it is to establish the chapters of the book. So yeah, and people it's just something I to... think about it's something. Mm-hmm. It's something I think about a lot, and uh, you're, you're far more ahead of me when it comes to shit yeah. like this I mean, when I was your age. People just need to remember it in that way. So, like when we say KD, Steph, or Warriors era, you go down the list. It's like okay, so then you have James Harden, Russell Westbrook. They won MVPs during that time. Then you have Paul George and Damian Lillard and DeRozan yeah. and whoever else you want to slide in the mix mm-hmm. there. Like that, those are the players that will define yeah. that era, I guess. So they all fall in under a a certain paradigm or as a direct foil to that. But I mean, it's the, it's the three point revolution. And now it's, now it's the, I think maybe the way to phrase it would be the athletic revolution where you have players who are. Daryl Morey calls it, uh, Daryl Morey calls Mm -hmm. it super skilled fives. So like Embiid, Jokic, Giannis, they're kind of like super skilled fives. Anthony Davis. Yeah. That's the least catchy thing I've ever heard. Um, (laughs) If you can, if you can figure out, if you can figure out a catch all for that kind of player, that this sort of era, you'll have an entire career out of that one. (laughs) The Greek freak generation. Yeah, there's, 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 it, there is an incisive, catchy. I mean, this is what advertising companies are made for. There's an incisive, catchy phrase for a do it all five, and you know we have to we name generate generation Z, you're the lost generation, this and that. Figuring out how to, you know, the three point revolution is easy. It's catchable. People understand it. LeBron generation is easy, super easy and understandable. LeBron was in the finals for eight straight years. Um, you know, and, and he was the, the definitive player on three different squads, four arguably, uh, though that generation had sort of faded out. You're in a post COVID generation. I, I, you know, it, it's the, the super, you know, the superhuman generation or something to that effect like if you were building a, a create a player you would build this superhuman but something I, I want you to figure this out because you, you you're, you're thinking about this in much cleaner terms than i am and i really enjoy this concept and i can see maybe why first take only deals with legacy and shit like that because it is fun to talk about but it, it takes uh, all the macro and puts it into context especially because this isn't my no. theory and i push back on it a little bit although i agree with the mm-hmm. end point is 
the 73 and nine Warriors team kind of rendered the NBA regular season worthless because the, the, the games themselves individually don't matter. Baseball, that's been the same case for like a decade where the regular season just does not matter. There's too many games Correct. over a large sample size. They'll figure everything out mm-hmm. in the NBA. Everyone gets at least a crack at the playoffs like and injuries right. happen later. So like because the game to game thing doesn't matter like it does in football, sometimes we have to do macro level analysis sometimes. I think I think a lot of times I think you're right yeah. about that, and even, and even then you end up in a situation where you're trying to do macro level analysis on the Golden State Warriors. You're like, what the hell's going on here? So. No, it's six titles in eight years. Like, it's very, I mean, other than LeBron, which is eight and eight years in a weak Eastern Conference, like it's it's, it's, it's no precedent. Yeah, don't know what to do with it. No, the Warriors are incredible. And if Kevin Durant hadn't been like brutally unhappy, they'd be running the league for like a decade. And we just have no idea. Modern day Patriots, just no idea what to do with it. Well, the, tr- the truth is that he is perpetually unhappy. So I know <laughs> that was never I, not going to be a thing. I know, but he could have been unhappy, stayed together. and They would have ran shit for, <laughs> for 10 years. <laughs> he still wouldn't have been happy. He still I know. wouldn't have been happy. It's yeah. yeah. Anyways, macro level conversations, even though we were going to praise the Warriors today, the all they're all very good. They're very I know good. it's so it's so easy and compact to figure out because like you have your generational <laughs> star, then you have the people MVPs give you an idea of who the next best players of the generation was, because when everyone gets tired of giving Durant and Steph the MVP every year, get tired of giving LeBron the MVP or tired of giving Giannis the MVP. Giannis. Who do they choose next? That's how you define the era. That's that's very that's very sharp. That's a very yeah, sharp. They've, yeah. they've made it easy for us to find the the four or five players who define an era. It's just nitpicking <laughs> the rest that's more difficult. Good stuff, man. Uh, I'd love to have the conversation with you on a larger larger uh, time frame uh, next time, but I got to bounce. Appreciate Absolutely. I know sure if it went a little usable. longer, so much appreciated. No, not a problem. I'm, I'm bouncing when I need to. Um, have, a, have a good one, man. Let's talk soon. Absolutely. Have a good day, Dieter. Bye. Aunt Ledger score. The ball slipped out his hand. Cat and them boys. They won't give a damn. They cheer playing games like they just won the crown. Nothing can bring can bring Minnesota down. The Ant Man drives down. D D Low's got a kick. D Low's got a kick. Get out. The Ant Man's twenty one and no no nothing can break. You can't break him down. 12 years in the tank, bed flops like a plank, we got news for you baby and Edwards is the man, two years in the game, and he's a household name, we got news for you baby and Edwards is the man, when it comes to Wiggins, they never learned, and then Jimmy Butler, left all the kids burned, the only way they get talent, is the top of the draft Torian Prince and Malik Bees Lee the Ant-Man's 21 No, no, nothing can break You can't break him down 12 years in the tank Bev flops like a plank 
got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Cats shot, make it rain. GM's affairs in the way. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man Twelve years in the tank Bev flops like a plank Got news for you baby and Edwards is the man Fifteen years away From headed to the Hall of Fame Got news for you baby And Edwards is the man All right, let's talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. And any chance we have to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves, we're going to play, I guess, our most recent and one of my personal favorites on the parody songs. Sometime once the, the NBA season's over, we'll, we'll just release a podcast that's just all of our bits over the last two or two years or so here on this fun, freaky podcast. So something interesting happened yesterday that I wanted to touch on briefly at the end here as our podcast celebrating the Golden State Warriors comes to our close. Let's talk about an organization that's not quite as well run as the Golden State Warriors, but still moderately well run, and that is the Denver Nuggets. It's weird to think about because for people who don't know like the, the broader NBA context, the Denver Nuggets pl- uh, are basically like the quote-unquote smallest market team in the NBA, shall we say. I put that in air quotes because Denver is not the smallest city in America and in a sport where there's a a salary or yeah, salary cap sport and revenue sharing and all that. It's hard to be a quote unquote small market team. So sometimes you have to disperse between attractiveness, like how attractive a city is in terms of people wanting to, to play there. And so Denver as a city is a population with less than a million people which if I had to guess, I'm going to guess Denver's probably like uh, one of the, I don't know, 20 largest cities in America. I was correct. Denver is the 19th largest city in America that in terms of population size, they are similar to Seattle, Washington, Nashville, Oklahoma City, El Paso, Boston, Portland, Las Vegas, and Detroit just in terms of general population size. So cities that would normally be regarded as smaller markets, even by sporting league standards. And so Denver is a moderately large city with four sports teams. And by the way, the sport going on at the same time, hockey is more popular than basketball in this city. That's already a middle market in America. Hockey's more popular. The Colorado Avalanche have had much more sustained success. It's a more popular sport during this season than the NBA. And by the way, Denver's been fighting three years to get a television contract in their local market, and they still have not agreed to one. So Denver is 
maybe the smallest market in the NBA. And despite this fact, they've still been a relatively well-run organization. If we go back the last 20 years and look at Western Conference teams in the NBA, I'm specifically choosing Western Conference for the sake of simplicity. The Lakers are, are a dumpster fire. They've won a lot of championships, though. So you think of the Lakers, the Warriors, the Spurs. I guess Dallas has to be in there. Dallas went a decade without winning a playoff series. But at the same time, Dallas did win a championship in 2011 and made a championship in 06. So I guess you got to put Dallas in there. After that, you kind of get into the territory of like Memphis, who made a conference title game in 2013. You get into Portland, who made a conference title game in 2019, and they've made the playoffs pretty consistently for the past decade. They were kind of bad in the 2000s, though. I mean, Denver's kind of right in the mix of like, an above-average, well-run team in the NBA over the last two decades. They made two conference championship games with two completely different teams. They've, they've been a moderately well-run basketball team. I guess Utah might be in the mix there also somewhere. The Clippers are up there. But like the, Utah has been, or Denver has not been a dumpster fire, despite the fact that they are one of the smallest or the smallest city organizations in the NBA. They don't attract free agents. The only stars they had, they have to convince to stay most of the time. Denver is a very small market NBA team, and yet Denver, for the past 20 years, has been run by two people. Two people have been running the Nuggets for close to 20 years. It was Masai Ujiri, for people who don't know, the now famed president of the Toronto Raptors, responsible for building the the Denver Nuggets that went to the conference championship in 2009 and traded Carmelo Anthony, and Masai Ujiri then went to Toronto, built up the champion team that Toronto had in 2019, still the president in Toronto, and then after Ujiri left in 2013, they were ran by a guy named Tim Connolly. Tim Connolly was the president of Basketball Ops, who drafted Nikola Jokic in 2014, drafted Jamal Murray, drafted Michael Porter Jr., and kind of has built this team up, and, and the great success he'll get is in the second round of the NBA draft, even though the fame story is that the guy they wanted to pick was taken one pick before, and so they settled on Jokic as a flyer pick, not knowing if he'd even sign in America. The Denver Nuggets got a 41st pick in the draft that they turned into a two-time MVP, and that's the the prowess of Tim Connolly that makes him one of the most you know appreciated general managers for a decade in the NBA. And... Tim Connolly, after nine years, left Denver after Stan Kroenke, for people who don't know, Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Los Angeles Rams and a European soccer team that I don't remember, maybe Arsenal. Stan Kroenke owns a soccer team and a football team and the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche. Stan Kroenke and him had a bitter contract dispute and Tim Connolly left to go be the the general or the president of basketball operations from Denver to Minnesota for $40 million a year. He joined the Minnesota Timberwolves yesterday. And it's really interesting because Denver is currently a better job than Minnesota. For the past 20 years, Denver has been a better job than Minnesota. This can be viewed as an exit point for Tim Connolly, like he was on the verge of getting fired. He wasn't going to get a contract extension, and so this is a soft landing for him, the same way Masai Ujiri didn't get fired by the Denver Nuggets. He just had a soft landing spot in Toronto. 
because he refused. I think he he either traded Carmelo Anthony or refused to trade Carmelo Anthony or whatever it was after the fact, like jumped ship from Denver as soon as they lost Carmelo Anthony. And so what's interesting about this shift is that the low ball offer seems to have forced uh, Tim Connolly out the door and something that I think everyone would like to appreciate except the belief that you know the system can be replicated even still I was reading a Denver Post story on this where they were talking about Stan Kroenke's sort of quote-unquote cheapness or the belief in the system more than the the singular person at the top and prioritizing profits over people which is a tried and true way to run organizations into the ground that whole idea was really fascinating because the Denver Nuggets can survive with a new person at the top. I think the Denver Nuggets, as presently constructed, can win the Western Conference next year. As we talk about the Golden State Warriors being this the, the team who we're going to appreciate with six titles in eight years and being the modern Spurs, in a weak Western Conference, and I put weak in air quotes, the Denver Nuggets have the best player in the Western Conference. It's the second best player in the NBA, only behind Giannis, but the best player in the Western Conference and a team that, when everyone gets healthy, is a baseline level of good. I talk about all the time, you just need a baseline level of talent around a superstar for that superstar to be able to win. And Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and like, plus Aaron Gordon, plus one more piece. I keep throwing out Danilio Gallinari. Just one more piece is good enough for the Denver Nuggets to win the Western Conference as long as you have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. together, because again, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. haven't played a playoff game together since the bubble. And the Denver Nuggets, in the two seasons since, Jokic has won an MVP and has never gotten his full team available in the playoffs, and they got swept out by a healthy Phoenix and lost in five to the, the Golden State Warriors, who would go on to win the Western Conference. And the Denver Nuggets are basically going to be the same team for as long as Nikola Jokic wants to remain there. They had the opportunity to maybe upgrade to Bradley Beal. It's the thing I would have said for years. They made smaller tinkering around the edges. But they're basically the same team. And I'd argue that Nikola Jokic should leave the Denver Nuggets because the organization has failed him in the ability to deliver a stronger team around him. At the same time, under the best of circumstances... I think it's still good enough to win a Western Conference title simply because you have Nikola Jokic on your team. What's interesting about Connolly leaving is the Denver Nuggets notoriously believe in that process and the Denver Nuggets are the smallest market in the NBA. And I don't think that has mattered to Jokic before. Jokic has said he wants to re-sign with Denver and time will tell this offseason if he signs the five-year, $280 million extension with the Denver Nuggets. And if he doesn't, that's a tried-and-true point that he's considering leaving, and the Nuggets might behoove themselves to try and get top-dollar value for Nikola Jokic. Again, that's something that'll come together someday in the next two months. Like, something, we'll get a news story, hey, Jokic has signed his extension, or Jokic is not going to sign an extension, and he's going to test free agency, and Denver's going to shop him around, and all that stuff that's going to happen over the next two months with Jokic and with Joel Embiid. It's interesting how the Denver Nuggets go about that, because their general manager just left, and so, or I'm sorry, their president just left to go to Minnesota, and so is that the beginning of 
we're starting to detransition from our peak era. Because as weird as it seems, like it's been four years since the Denver Nuggets assumed the quote-unquote prime of Nikola Jokic. And the prime of basketball players doesn't last that long. Like the prime winning window for the Denver Nuggets, unfortunately, was these past few years when Jamal Murray missed two playoffs with a torn ACL and Michael Porter Jr. missed all of last season with a back injury. And so that prime has already dwindled down. I'm not saying it's over. Like I'm saying when the person wins the MVP, they are usually playing their best basketball. Even LeBron James won his four MVPs all in the same time frame together. And Jokic is now in his eighth year in the NBA. And at 28 years old, the math is going to change around some of this stuff, especially as players just generally get older. And so I, Jokic could resign with Denver and resign themselves to years from now having second round exit after second round exit. For right now, they are simply good enough to win because they have Jokic. And Jokic holds all the cards in this situation. And it's interesting that Connolly ends up leaving after nine years as president and building up the team. He's you know, he didn't get the contract offer, and so it's a soft landing spot. Also, in regards to the Minnesota Timberwolves, it's amazing that Minnesota is now the destination spot for people wanting to get jobs. Because usually when Masai Ujiri had to take the Raptors job, it was the best job available. It wasn't a great job. They had DeMar DeRozan. They were still coming off a season where they hadn't made the playoffs since Chris Bosh left. In his first year there, they made the playoffs. But it was a long, winding road for the Toronto Raptors to get back to that place when Masai Ujiri showed up. And so, first year with Masai Ujiri, they make the playoffs. And five years, six years later, they win the championship. Minnesota is a ready-made team right now with three players who are top 50 in the NBA. And they just need one of them to develop into a superstar. And it's probably going to be Anthony Edwards. I also cannot emphasize enough just how funny it is that the reason that job was open for Tim Connolly to get a record-setting contract with possible ownership investment in the Timberwolves was the fact that the previous general manager of the Minnesota Timberwolves was fired for having affairs in the organization. And I cannot, I mentioned it in the song, I cannot emphasize just how funny it is that that is an actual reality that went down in Minnesota. And so Minnesota, like the alternatives were go and run, I don't know what other jobs are available right now, go and run the Charlotte Hornets, I guess. Um, Or you go and run one of these tanking teams at the top of the drafts, like the, the Detroit Pistons who have Cade Cunningham, who, who seems to be a very good player. There just wasn't a lot of availabilities in terms of prime general manager spots. And so Connolly got the best job he could at a damn good market value. And it's interesting because the Timberwolves technically have two ownership groups right now. Like Mark Lore and A-Rod bought the Minnesota Timberwolves, but Glenn Taylor's still running the day-to-day operations for the next two years. So it's a really weird transition period. And Minnesota got themselves a really high-priced general manager from a team that seems to have alienated a guy who built a pretty good team in, over the past nine years. It wasn't, you know, signing people to go to the Denver Nuggets. It was just, you know, they drafted Jokic with the 41st pick and they happened to luck their way into a two-time MVP or develop a two-time MVP or whatever happened that the, the, the second greatest player of his generation ended up falling to pick 41 
in the NBA draft. So it looks like the Timberwolves are on in the up and up because the one thing that uh, everyone said was good about Tim Connolly is that Tim Connolly never made a very poor decision, which is easy to do when you work for the Denver Nuggets. No one wants to join your team anyways, except again, he also traded Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell to the Utah Jazz. That is a fun fact that I love bringing up any chance I can. There are photos of both Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell in Denver Nuggets hats on the stage, and that would have solved so many of their problems. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up, mostly on Sundays. Not every Sunday, but mostly on Sundays. Make sure to leave a five-star review. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube. Check out all of our other work. All kinds of great stuff coming at you over the next few days. I hope you all enjoy, and in the meantime, take it easy. We will play out here today with our wonderful parody song to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who now have a real legitimate bona fide general manager, a star player who's got swag at 21 years old, and enough talent from having the number one pick in the draft to actually build a team that can make the first round of the NBA playoffs. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in and take it easy. Ant let y'all score. The ball slipped out his hand. Cat and them boys, they won't give a damn. They cheer playing games like they just won the crown. Nothing can bring, can bring Minnesota down. The Ant-Man drives down. D, D-Lo's got a kick, D-Lo's got a kick it out. The Ant-Man's 21 and no, no, nothing can break. You can't break him down. 12 years in the tank, bed flops like a plank. We got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Two years in the game, and he's a household name. We got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. When it comes to Wiggins, they never learned. And then Jimmy Butler left all the kids burned. The only way they get talent is the top of the draft. Torian Prince and Malik Bees Lee, the Ant Man's 21. No, no, nothing can break. You can't break him down. 12 years in the tank. Bev flops like a plank. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Cat's shot, make it rain. GM's affairs in the way. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man
12 years in the tank Bev flops like a plank Got news for you baby and Edwards is the man 15 years away from headed to the Hall of Fame Got news for you baby and Edwards is the man